Welcome to Humans of CX, a podcast powered by Ozontel. We share the latest insights and customer experience from industry experts to help you humanize your approach, placing empathy at the center of the customer experience. I'm your host, Karima. Thank you so much for joining me, Arjun. It's such an honor to have you here with me on this show. And I would like to tell you that this is my very first episode on the Humans of CX podcast as a host. And I'm super excited to have you as my first guest. Wow. Well, that's you talk about an honor, Garima, that it, actually the honor is all mine. To be the first episode on your kind of podcast is, is truly a privilege. So thank you for that. Thank you for asking me to be the first guest. Thank you so much, Ajahn. Ajahn, to begin with, it would be great if you could help our listeners understand your journey, your story in the customer experience space. And I think we can dive into deeper subjects later on. Okay. So let me give you a quick kind of like thumbnail sketch. On I've done, I don't consider myself to have had a career as such. I've done, I've had a bit of a journey. So I've done a bunch of different things. Originally, I'm a trained economist and then a trained teacher and then did both of those sort of things, both here in the UK and overseas, primarily in the Middle East. I was working as a teacher and as an economist and then came back to the UK, worked for a couple of big corporates, sort of building and developing sort of things internally, like new businesses. And from about 2004, I've worked sort of independently and worked on a few projects since 2000 for the first sort of like four or five years. And then I figured out that I really needed to, I liked the idea of working independently. So I wanted to do something that I thought really mattered. Knew that kind of the way the, work, the market was going, that I needed to develop a more of a digital footprint. And so I started writing. And I started writing in, that was probably about 2008, 2009. And I was writing about general stuff. And that got very boring very quickly. I thought I have to write about something that I care about or I don't like and I wanted to change. So I figured out that I don't like bad service. And that doesn't make me kind of different to anybody else. It just make it, it, the reason why I don't like it is because it's having built things that have always had customer and employee value at their heart in the past. It's always frustrated me that organizations often get in the way of their people doing a good job. And so I started writing about that and started thinking about it. And, and sort of fast forward to now, I've written a whole bunch of stuff, written four books, I had a Forbes column for nearly 10 years now, a podcast for nearly, for 12 years now, let's say four books, blog posts, and it's allowed me to develop this footprint, which has allowed me to kind of like give me the privilege to be able to kind of work with all sorts of different people about serving their or addressing, helping them address their service and experience challenges. And I do that in sort of, there's two different buckets. One is I work directly with companies who have their own questions and problems and challenges and then on the other bucket is I work with service providers, whether they are BPOs or consultancies or tech companies, about with some writing and research or events or kind of whatever it might be. And those sort of things tend to kind of balance off. And underneath, I'm, I'm always doing my own sort of writing research. So that's a long answer to how I've got to here. But it's been, as I say, it's a journey. It was never planned. I didn't plan to get here. I didn't know where here was when I was there. I just thought it would set off with an idea that I didn't like this and I wanted to figure out how we could do something different, better, to try and produce these better outcomes. Right. That's a beautiful thing, I believe, Adrian, that you didn't like something, you wanted to make things better and you started with your initiatives. One of them being your podcast. And I would 
love to dive a bit into that because you started with your podcast at a time when that platform was not very popular right and slowly you know it started getting that kind of attention and how it became popular over the years that is something very important because in a way you created a platform through which you were able to share a lot of wisdom experience and in a way your gift so maybe you could help us understand your journey with the podcast a bit and how you see how you look at the role of podcast as a critical platform to you know share knowledge about the world of customer service customer experience so the way i view my podcast you're right i mean it, i i started podcasting i didn't i didn't know it at the time it was a thing that i found out about that some people were doing it and but as it's turned out i was podcasting before it was cool and now it's cool and i'll probably still be podcasting when it's no longer cool because I like it as a medium. And I like it as a medium for, you know, and this has always been the way that I've thought about it. If you can imagine like a set of intersecting sets, sort of almost like bubbles, as it were. And the two most important kind of bubbles that I that intersect that may help me hopefully hit the way I explain my podcast is that I use my podcast as both a an R&D tool and an L&D tool. It's research and development and also learning and development. And so the way I've always approached it is I've tried to use it as a way to identify people that have great stories that are willing to share them, people that are doing cool things that I think people would do, that I'd like to learn more about, and to try and shine a spotlight on kind of stuff I thought was interesting. And when you do those sort of things, and that's the research and development and the learning development, but then there's two other kind of like things that happen underneath them. One is there's a networking kind of bit, you get to meet some amazing people and that becomes your kind of a network. And then on the back of that, you also indirectly market yourself, not by selling anything, just by kind of going, I did this, I met that person, we talked about this, I shared it, meh, it's kind of fine. I'm not pitching anything, but you're like going, you get to the point where you're going, oh, you've done that and you keep doing that and you're not really selling anything, but you know that person and you know that person, that person, that person, that person, that person. And if you put the time in, and you keep going and you're interested in the subject matter and how you make a difference, trying to look at things in a different way, it sort of sticks after a while. It doesn't need to stick for anybody, for everybody rather. That's not the point. The point is that if it sticks for some people, that's enough, right? And as I say, I've been doing it now for nearly, well, for 12 years. I've done just over 450 episodes. Which is, I've got a friend, Minter Dial, who's just had his 500th episode. He's been doing it for a little bit longer than me. But it's, yeah, no, it's a, I'm absolutely convinced that podcasting has made me smarter. I mean, it's a bit like you think about it, you go, if I've had a chance to speak to over 450 super smart people for like an hour at a time, I mean, you look at it and go, how many lectures do you have in a college degree over yeah. the course of a semester or a year or three years or three-year, four-year course. I mean, how many? I don't know. Is it, is it 400? Is it 500? Is it 1,000 of it? I don't know. But it's a lot of knowledge. And because you're interrogating it, you have to understand it, you have to prepare for it, all that sort of stuff. It's, it just makes, personally, I think that it's made me smarter. Wow. I'm sure it has because I'm here to learn from you in this episode and for many more conversations in the future. So Adrian, since you've been talking to so many people and as you said, it's about giving everything a different perspective. 
So how are you looking at agent experience and why do you think it matters? There's a lot of conversation around customer experience, how we can make it better. But these are the people on the front line, right? So how do we take care of them and how do you look at the entire space? According to you, how would you define agent experience? I mean, it's very difficult to do that, but how are you looking at this concept altogether? So first of all, I should say, the idea of agent experience is not new. In fact, if people want to kind of go back into the business literature, people come up with it, talk about it now. It's like, oh, it's this new thing. You're like, going, it's not. It makes sense. It's like there's old business wisdom that says, well, if you treat your people well, then they'll treat your, logically, they'll treat your customers well. That's pretty straightforward, right? There's also the kind of in, in the academic literature, if you go back to the 1980s and things, there's people that have been writing about, talking about things like the service profit chain for decades now. Same thing, employee satisfaction is at the heart of performance. That's the same sort of thing as agent experience. But agent experience kind of right now, I think, is more of a, um, in my mind, it's more of a s- specific thing. And I think if you think about it from a perspective of we've invested a lot in these digital self-service tools. And also many companies are investing in efforts to help them deliver sort of predictive, preemptive, proactive service to try and and solve problems before they show up. If they do show up and then people arrive at say your website or your your app or kind of whatever, and they're looking for help, they're sort of trying to self-serve. Now, if they've gone through all those kind of those hurdles, but you still can't solve the problem, then they kind of like, or there's a different context where it's a super urgent issue and somebody just needs to reach out and call somebody or chat to them or whatever then what happens now is that the expectations to be able to get quick swift or that same thing swift and empathetic and accurate and efficient sort of like answers to the kind of questions when you can reaching out to a live agent just goes through the roof because people have done all this work so when they hit the live channels or the semi-live channels, there is an expert, a different expectation. The expectation is like, I don't want you to faff around. It's kind of looking for an answer to my thing. I want you to really understand, you know, I'm calling you as the expert. I'm going to tell you what my problem is. And I'm going to go, you should, my expectation is you're going to go, I think I know what the problem is. You should do this, this, and this, or let me fix that, that, and that. Off you go. Thanks very much. So that's our sort of where their expectation is because people have done all this work before they get to the agent. So our challenge then is in that agent experience is to think about, I think, is how do we operationalize excellence in the moment? And that becomes the kind of challenge. So it's like if we've waited and we've queued and we've tried to self-serve, but then we eventually get to somebody, it's sort of not really acceptable, I don't think, to... Have somebody kind of like say, unless it's a really naughty kind of problem, to have kind of somebody to kind of to take an age to try and figure out what the answer is. Like, for example, we had a weird thing happen to us, my wife and I, the other week. And it was we had we ordered some food to be delivered to our house. No, rather, we didn't order some food to be delivered to our house. Actually, the doorbell kind of went at around about half past eleven at night. And we're like, huh? Not expecting anything. Went to the door, somebody says, We've got some food for this person. And I'm like going, that's not me. Nobody by that name lives here. How did that happen? So somebody was using our address to have food delivered. And I was a bit like, hmm. And then the guy left and I kind of saw that he was being somebody at the end at our sort of 
gate and actually it was the person the food was going to be delivered to they were staying a couple of doors kind of down actually in a hotel a couple of doors away from us a small hotel and i was a bit like that's strange because actually when you go into the delivery app you plug in the name of the hotel and it gives you the exact address and not kind of here anyway it was just weird it was late at night it was just weird i actually reached out to the kind of the uh, the delivery app and asked them so was like how could this happen because this is weird and over subsequent emails it's what's fascinating is that I kept getting asked the same sort of question again and again and again. And to my frustration, nobody was reading the email trail. Nobody was going down and going, let me kind of read the history. Uh, you've asked this, you said that. Uh, okay, fine. To so keep asking me the same question over and over again is for me just not acceptable. And it's just, well, it becomes a bit of an odd thing. I eventually got an answer to it, that, which wasn't very plausible. But I don't know what's going, to, what's going on. I think it was just a bit of a quirk in the app. But I wasn't very satisfied because I expected somebody kind of like, I didn't expect my question or that my issue to be the only kind of time this sort of thing has happened. So I expected somebody to turn around and go, yeah, I can imagine that's kind of weird. Be a bit empathetic. Hmm, that's a bit weird. Let me go and find out how that might have happened. But I sort of didn't get that. I got a really functional response. Tell, tell me the email that you're using. Tell me the address. Tell me this. Kind of, it's like, it's all, I've told you all that in the original email. And so I think there are expectations when we can try and do these things. So I'd been on the app and I'd been using all the different things. I'm like, how does this happen? How does this happen? So I sent them an email because I couldn't find a phone number to call them. And just the response was sort of underwhelming. And I guess that's my kind of point. So you talk about kind of the different bits of kind of agent, the agent experience. I think it's quite complicated because one, you have to have, to get it right, I think, you have to have the right people. Then you have to give them the right sort of tools and the right sort of training and the right sort of data and information at the right time to succeed. Then you've also got to be able to support them and allow them sort of to develop, to get the kind of the most out of them and to all of those kind of things. Because we also have to realize that it's a hard job. And it's no coincidence that people, many people that work in service and support, there's a generally high attrition rate of it. Or... It has an impact on people's kind of well-being, particularly if you're working remotely or in a hybrid sort of session. If you're working on your own, in your own little kind of home office or something, and you're just kind of, you're expected to be taking calls and emails and live chats all the time, it's a bit like, yeah, that's pretty relentless. And so the other thing we need to do is that when we talk about support, it's not just about supporting people in terms of kind of coaching and how to make them kind of better, but also actually looking after their well-being. and. So all of those things are important elements of it. And I think it's really important and it's becoming, I think it's becoming increasingly important because the demand for live support is, despite the investment in digital self-service tools, has gone up and it's remained high, resolutely high. And there's no real sign that it's going to go down. And it might over time as, as you know and as technology kind of improves and so so on and so forth but i think the stakes are that it's demand for live help from somebody from a company rep and agent is here to stay and more importantly further down the line is those agents those customer support people those customer service kind of folks they do an important job and they sit on top of a mountain of data and insights which needs to be leveraged and learned from 
And that becomes also part of it because actually the agent experience doesn't shouldn't just be about serving customers, but it's also about how do you help the organization right. kind of improve as well. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. Yeah, so Adrian, how do we make their job easier? Because there's a lot of discussion around empathy, right? And you highlighted something really important, which is it's also important to take note of their well-being, overall well-being, because they're dealing with a tremendous amount of data. They're having these conversations day in and day at night. So how do they get through this? How do we make their jobs easier? And we have tools, we have technologies we need to put in the right amount of support. But how do we bring in empathy also into this entire conversation? I think there's a kind of couple of things. And I would say that it's sort of the same thing. You should apply the same sort of discipline to agent experience as you would to, say, a customer experience project. I think, the, first of all, you have to understand where you are and sort of almost like tell a story about what is the customer experience kind of now. And then you can take a step back and go, okay, fine. Now, what would we like it to be like? And what would we envision it could or should be like in sort of two, three years' time? And let's tell a story about that. Try not to use buzzwords. Try not to use kind of like heavy technological kind of terms, but talk in the ways that a human being or an employee, a colleague of yours would talk. Say like, currently here it's like this. This is how it makes me feel. This is what I'm slightly frustrated by. But this is where it is in the future. And this is kind of what we'd like to. So you end up with these two points. The same thing you could apply to from an agent's experience. It's like, understand what it's like right now. And really ask people, tell me kind of what it's like. Or I get them to tell you what it's like and be honest about it. And then work with them to imagine and envision kind of what it might be like in the future. Like two years, 18 months, whatever it might be. And tell those stories about that. Because then if you do that, when you have a clear idea of where you are and where you want to get to, then you can figure out what's my strategy to go from here to here. And I can plot the steps. When you do that, you get clarity and you get people involved. And I think that's really important because a lot of times people go like, oh, we'll do this because it'll make it easier. You're like going, for who? And how are people, are the people on boards with that? Or is it, are you just doing stuff to people because you think it's the right thing to do? Because I'm pretty, I guarantee that if you kind of went and asked your people, kind of tell me what gets in the way of you doing a good job, list out the things. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a huge number of things on that list that you haven't even thought of. Absolutely. Yes, Adrian. And moving on, what would you suggest companies? How can they really foster strategies, build strategies to create a positive agent experience? Because as you rightly said, that making the job simpler, but for whom and how and why? So I think let's uh, dive into that a bit. And if you could help us make sense of this. So I would say one of the biggest things that people talk about. So there's two things I would say is, first of all, before you make any technological or new technology decisions, Go and speak to your people. I mean, really speak to your people. Because more often than not, people don't, people kind of, technology is foisted upon people and they're not consulted and they're not, their point of view is not taken into account very often. And what happens is that it feels like people, things are done to people or given to people and they're just expected to use them. And that causes a problem with involvement, adoption, all these different things. And if people don't adopt it, then it's a waste of time. And if it doesn't work because you haven't consulted the people because they haven't captured a key requirement, 
that you need to, in order to help people kind of do their job, then they're going to, it's going to be a bit glitchy and they're going to find a workaround and things. So I think the most important things is when it comes, particularly when it comes to a technology perspective, is to go and talk to your people and find out kind of what they think, what would work for them. And the second thing I would say is that invest in your managers. There was a Gallup piece of research that said, that found, and Gallup is like the home of employee engagement research and data globally. They've been doing it for years. And they found in one study, they found that the difference between top quartile performing organizations and bottom quartile performing organizations, 70% of the variance between the performance of those two blocks can be explained by the quality of their management. Because here's what kind of happens. It's like training and development in many organizations is a bit like an empty sandwich. So on the bottom layer, or the top layer, doesn't matter, on one layer, a big chunk of the training budget goes to the frontline people, helping them deal with customer demand, critical demand, whatever it might be. Helps them do, it's the cost of doing, part of the cost of doing business. Then another significant chunk, the other side of the sandwich, goes to top leadership, fast kind of like future talent, all that type of stuff. They're high performers. But you end up with these two layers of the sandwich and then nothing in between. So supervisors, team leaders, middle management, they own investment in them that they deserve. And I think as an organizational, and it's not, I don't think it's a myth. I think it's sort of a truth. And that is people join a company and leave a manager. And I think if you want to get the best out of their people, your people, one of the most important things and the best investment you can do is one, hire the best people that you can for your management positions or promote the best people into those positions. Don't promote the people that necessarily have the greatest technical expertise or the greatest or the most seniority or whatever. They might be rubbish managers. Yeah. They're like, find the best people for the job. And then train them and support them because it will reap huge benefits in terms of how they help and support their kind of people. Right, right. And I think in this conversation, we are looking at a lot of gaps. And as you mentioned, we are looking at completely different skill sets when you're when we are talking about leadership and management. Right. Somebody mm -hmm. might have a great skill set and technical expertise, but might not be a good manager. So that is definitely a gap we are looking at. And also, Adrian, you spoke about communication. Like it's about, it all comes down to how you communicate with your people. How are you talking to them, right? So in the overall uh, picture, when we talk about agent experience, where do you see the gap when it comes to communicating with the frontline people? That again stems down from the top leadership and the conversation between the managers and the agents. So I was going to go back to another old kind of thing, which is so a lot of the stuff I don't I say is necessarily very new. It's almost like common sense, but it's not very common or not often practiced. And I just kind of like rinse and repeat sort of stuff in different ways. And there's another old saying which says, "We have two ears and one mouth. We should use them in the same proportion." And even though we talk about listening, 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 we should listen. We should listen to our customers. We should listen, et cetera, et cetera. We don't. The difference between what we say and what we actually do, like here's an exercise for people that are, that are and just as an illustration, if people, next time you're having a conversation with somebody, pay attention. 
yeah, pay attention to them, but also pay attention to yourself. And notice the points in the conversation when you are just waiting for that other person to finish before you tell them what you think. And as soon as you get to that kind of point, then you stop listening. So somebody might be half the way through a sentence and you're like, oh, I know what I'm going to say. That happens, you've already stopped listening. And it happens to everybody because it's just the kind of the way that kind of like things often kind of work. Because actually paying attention and listening requires effort and it can be hard work, particularly when you're in a rush or he's busy or under pressure or kind of whatever. Ever. But giving somebody 100% of your focus, even like a 100% of your focus time, even if it's only a small snippet of time, is one of the greatest gifts that you can give somebody. And so to do it in an undiluted kind of way is a gift. And I think that if we could all do that a little bit more, we can practice it amongst our friends and our family and everybody else. And then our colleagues and then our management and leadership sort of style is like, just stop and listen. Really hear somebody until they're finished because it's respectful and it makes somebody feel heard. And that is probably one of the biggest and most empathetic things that you could ever do. Completely on board with this, Adrian, because I also believe that listening to respond is one side of the story and listening to understand is another. So I think that is something thought leaders and people in the customer service industry have been talking about when it comes to customer experience, that we need to listen to our customers better. But I think what you highlighted here is also very important because now it also comes down to listening to our agents better, understanding their challenges, what are they struggling with exactly before we force our solutions upon them. So I think that's an integral part of this story, Adrian. So how would you sum it up? According to you, what are some of the key pillars that you are looking at when we talk about a great agent experience? Because we do talk about a great CX and this is how it should look like. So what is it? according to you, for a great agent experience? Well, I think it, Karima, I think it's going to depend. It, kind of, it depends on your situation. It depends on your company, your industry, the level of competitiveness, or what the value proposition that you want to try and develop and deliver against. And I think, so it depends. And I think this is the thing I, I don't, so I don't really like frameworks. I don't like things that say, oh, these, here's a pillar, here's this and that. And that. Um, it's like, yeah, that can help, but it's a bit like you're looking to... It, it ultimately, it feels like if you start with a framework, it feels like you're looking for things to go and put in the boxes. And I think that's the wrong way around. I'm more interested in understanding the problem before we even think about frameworks. It's like, how can I get my arms around it? What have we currently got? What is the problem here? What's holding us back? What are people saying about it? How are people feeling about it? How could it be different? How could it be better? Get people involved in that. Understand it, kind of understanding what you're dealing with. Because the things that you might think are the, the solutions might not be the solutions. The problem is we're too often too quick to want to just fix something rather than actually really understanding it. Because we get caught in this kind of thing that we are almost like rewarded to be busy doing things. You're like going, but thinking about stuff looks a lot like doing nothing. And that's the problem because thinking is actually really valuable. Because it can help you a bit more kind of time invested understanding something could possibly save you a lot of time and effort. And so 
I don't really think about it very much, but I think about you need to have the right sort of people, you need to give them the right sort of tools, the right sort of training, and the right sort of information and data, and the right sort of support, and the right sort of development, and also the kind of right reason for being there, right? It's a bit like Simon Sinek's kind of map idea. There's mastery, autonomy, and purpose. There's a framework for you. If you want to kind of understand all these different things, but they can the people, tools, training, information, data, support, development, purpose, that's a list of stuff that you might want to kind of like have ingredients. How much of each of those ingredients you put into your own recipe, that's up to you. That's a function of your problem in your situation. Right, right. And actually that brings me to another question, Adrian. And right in the beginning, you pointed this out about your inspiration to join this industry, maybe that you saw a problem, you didn't like things in a certain way, you wanted to create something better, right? So in this case, and I agree with you when you say this, that you do not like when, you know, there's a framework, there's a box we are trying to fit everything into because it works differently for everyone else, right? So what are some of the common perceptions regarding agent experience that you do not agree with at all? which everyone is creating a hype around, but you actually do not agree with that. Well, I'll tell you one thing, and it's a big problem, needs to be addressed because it's not sustainable otherwise, is you can't get to a point where, and this is the trajectory that much of the agent experience is on, and this is what people want to try and aim for, is this idea that we can create digital self-service tools or we can automate away 60, 70, 80, 90% of all the simple, mundane, repetitive queries, and then leave the agents to focus on the more complex, serious, urgent sort of queries that require different sorts of tools, but also more of a human touch. So you can say, okay, that's kind of where we're all going, right? But to do that, you need people that are technically savvy, quick-witted, empathetic, great interpersonal kind of communication skills, all of these different things. You need kind of like, they're like superhuman beings, right? And real potential ambassadors for the brand. And it's not just about processing people through, it's about building relationships, possibly generating additional revenue, kind of like opportunities, increasing retention and loyalty and all that that type of stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's the thing. It's going to be really hard to, you can't do that and expect that of people and then only expect to pay them minimum wage plus. Because the customer service, customer support, customer help people are not the most highly kind of paid and rewarded or respected kind of people in most in many organizations. It's a part of a business which is not seen as being more of a transient part of the business where people kind of come in as possibly an entry point and then the transition can link through. There's a couple of things. One is I don't think the expectation of what you want the person to do versus what you're willing to pay that person is completely, that relationship sort of completely out is broken. And, and if we don't start talking about and changing the way people think about service and support as being something of, well, we know it's something of value, but we don't respect it. It's a bit like in the UK, it's a bit like going, and it's like in other places in the world, when the pandemic was on, Everybody was out clapping for the healthcare workers and the nurses and stuff, but you're still paying them rubbish wages right now. Hence why right now many of the health service kind of like staff are on strike, particularly the nurses and the ambulance workers. And rightly so. They do important work and they should be paid fairly for it. The same applies to agents that do important work. 
We should reward them for it. We should treat them well. We should respect them. We should nurture them. We should develop them. We should make it an area that people want to go and work in and stay in. That's a big undertaking because that's about changing mindsets and changing the idea about what it means to serve. Some cultures, service is seen as being a bit of lowly sort of things. But in other cultures, service and to serve is seen as a kind of a high kind of aspiration. And I think kind of, we kind of need to think about that. For me, I think that they do hugely important work. I mean, they are superheroes. And I take my hat off to every kind of one of them who is, enjoys their work, kind of battles through it, tries to do the best that they can, and keeps coming back day after day because it's not easy. And so I tip my hat to them. It is not easy, definitely, Adrian. And you also spoke about giving them a reason for being there. That's such a beautiful thing to say because in a way we are trying to create an environment for them and also valuing how they're contributing towards the society. So giving them that purpose and valuing what they bring on the table, that is so very important. And on that note, Ajahn, I would like to understand from you if somebody wanted to join the CX space, what advice would you have for them for the freshers and you know newcomers beginners what would you tell them since we have been talking about giving them that space that support so what is it that you would like to highlight for these people who really want to be a part of the space and are trying to figure out their why their inspiration and how they can really contribute so the one thing i would say well i said a couple of things i would say like read as much as you can and don't worry if you feel like you're getting lost because you will get lost I get lost all the time because it's like such a big area and so much kind of stuff going on. But yeah, immerse yourself in the different perspectives that what different people can like kind of think. Realize there's no one size fits all solution to it. Ask people questions and be interested in people's opinion and perspective. And if you keep doing that, yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll learn a lot and then you'll find your space. It's not about kind of saying I kind of I don't think it's about necessarily having a defined idea about the space that you want to be in, but it's like because I think sometimes you have to journey a little bit to find your space, and it's just a relatively young space and it's shifting and changing all the time. And also, don't rush to feel like you need to take a qualification or certification or whatever. It can help in some cases, but actually, self education. Asking questions, being interested, meeting people, asking if there's anything that you can do to help them. Just get involved. That's it. Right. Thank you so much, Adrian. It's been lovely speaking to you today. And again, listening to you. I think it's my honor completely. And thank you so much for this great episode. And I'll be sure to share the links of your podcast as well with the show notes. And uh, I would say once again, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Humans of CX, a podcast brought to you by Ozontel. If you enjoyed today's show, visit ozontel.com to learn more about how our robust omni-channel communications platform makes it the industry leader within the customer experience space. You can find Humans of CX on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other platforms that are featuring podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you so much for listening.